here back in Luke, and we are now rewinding um, where we found ourselves a couple weeks ago in Easter, and we're going to be looking in chapter 13 of Luke, so I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Luke 13, we've been traveling through this gospel for several months now, and we're going to consider verses 18 through 30, and I invite you to stand with me. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, Many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and you will knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. And then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. This is God's good word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you give us hearts to receive this teaching this morning and the urgency of which you call us into your kingdom. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this past week, um, uh, Carson, my, our oldest, uh, had a couple of his friends over during lunchtime. And if you've been in our house, we have a, in, our, in our family room above our television, I think an appropriate place, I suppose, uh, the six symbols of the true story. And it looks like this. Okay, those who have been a part of Missio, you know exactly what this means, right? These are six symbols that help us identify how the true story actually looks. What from Genesis to Revelation, okay? It's creation, rebellion, promise, redemption in Christ. The forward arrow is the church, and then the last arrow coming down, the new creation, right? And we talk about this a lot, and so we have these symbols up on our wall. And uh, one of Carson's friends was over there and goes, uh, is that the fatality code for Mortal Kombat? 
right? And, and, that, and that happens all the time. And we've had people go, is that like a cheat code, like a downtown up, up, right, 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 you know? And you get like all these multiple lives of uh, Super Mario, those of you who are like old like me, you remember that? Um, and so we, and it's so awesome because it's such a great way of getting to bring the good news to bear. And um, so Tanya's there with them and Carson was like, yeah, no, that's not. Uh, this is the true story of the world. And so his friend Kyle says, well, what do you mean? And so they get to tell the story of God and, and still the story of Jesus and what he's done. And his friend Kyle says, well, I, I've never heard that before. Like, I know Jesus, I've heard of Jesus, and what's funny is that Carson's other, now both these guys uh, that are with Carson, they don't know Christ. Uh, his other friend, Ryan, looks at Kyle and he goes, dude, Jesus, right? Like, he died for your sins, right? So, but he doesn't really know Jesus. He just knows a little bit about him, but his friend Kyle hadn't even heard the story. And so they got to share the good news of Jesus, and Kyle was like, well, wait a minute, hold on a second. You're telling me then that if I don't believe in Jesus, then when he comes and brings this new world, like I won't be there? And the answer to that question is, no, you won't. And he responded by asking Carson, goes, well, how long will it take me to like understand and figure this out? And you want to say it's a lifelong process, bro. It's going to take a long time. But to actually enter into the kingdom of God, you can do that right now. And so what seemed like a really insignificant conversation around our lunch table turns into something super good and great. Would you pray for Kyle this week? Pray for his friend Ryan as well, that they would know the true story, the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been seeing throughout the whole gospel of Luke is what is the kingdom of God like? What is this true story? And Jesus has been teaching that the kingdom of God is God's power and reign to heal and restore all of creation in the person and work of Jesus. So as Jesus continues through this gospel to talk about God's kingdom, for Jesus, that means that his work of salvation, Jesus' work of salvation is coming to restore and renew the whole of human life. Economic, political, spiritual, physical, religious, and not only in the hereafter, but in the here and now. And so Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels has been to show and to teach the people this is what the kingdom of God is like. And the way he does that often is through parables, right? And so in our text that we find ourselves in this morning, Jesus throws a couple of different parables out to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. And primarily that the kingdom of God is growing gradually into greatness. And this would have been completely foreign to the Jewish mindset who thought that when God brought in his kingdom, it was going to come immediately. And that the Savior who came into the world to bring the kingdom was going to come as a ruler of military might to overthrow Rome, to overthrow all the oppression. And Jesus says, mm, that's not how the kingdom works. That the kingdom of God is going to come bit by bit, one sermon at a time. One miracle at a time. 
And the kingdom of God is going to grow gradually into greatness. It's like you wanted to have that conversation with Kyle and said, how long is it going to take you to know Jesus? It's going to be a gradual process. But you can know him even now. And that's what Jesus is saying is enter into my kingdom. And so what we find today is that the kingdom of God grows outward. The kingdom of God will grow inward. And most importantly, the kingdom of God will point upward. So to give you a little bit of context of where we find ourselves this morning in verse 18, is if you were to read verses 10 through 17 of Luke chapter 13, you'd find that Jesus has just healed a woman who had been disabled for 18 years. And as we've already learned, as we've wrestled through this gospel, is that people who had a disease like that or were disabled were on the fringes of society. They weren't embraced into the Jewish community of worship. So for 18 years, this lady's bent over, she's disabled, not only physically unwell, but she's socially unwell. And Jesus has just healed her. And now on the heels of this miracle, Jesus asks this question. He goes, what's the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? And he gives us a couple ways. And first, he says that the kingdom of God is growing outward. And look what he says. He says, what is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Something super small like a mustard seed grows into something great so that the birds of the air find refuge and find protection in the branches of this tree. And Jesus is using an image that probably would have been very common for the Jew to understand. It's taken from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 17 verses 22 through 24. We're going to read that. But this is a prophecy where Ezekiel is saying that God is promising to send a king, a Messiah, who will establish his kingdom. And this kingdom is going to flourish. And this kingdom is going to offer protection and deliverance to all people of every nation. This is what Ezekiel writes. This is what the Lord God says. I will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will plant it. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and I will plant it on a high towering mountain. I will plant it on Israel's high mountain that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it taking shelter in the shade of the branches, then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the tall tree and will make the low tree tall. I cause the green tree to wither and I make the wither tree thrive. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. And in the mind of the Jews... If they were 
honest with themselves and understood what God was saying here, this was going to be a kingdom that would be established that would gradually turn into greatness. Bearing branches, producing fruit, allowing all the birds of the air to come and nest in its branches, which was an allegory for the nations of the world. And for God to say that I'm going to cause a green tree to wither and I'm going to make the wither tree thrive, that's supernatural. It's a little odd. It's unusual. And so when Jesus says that a mustard seed is going to grow into a tree, that's unusual too because a mustard seed was not known to grow into a tree. It was growing into a small little bush. So for Jesus to compare the kingdom of God as a mustard seed growing into a tree was to show that this kingdom was going to be supernatural. This kingdom would not be like any other kingdom Israel had ever seen, any other kingdom like the world. This was going to be the hand of God because it's his kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, this kingdom, unusual, supernatural, all-powerful, it's going to grow gradually, and it's going to grow outward. So big, so fruitful, the branches allowing all the birds of the sky to come and nest. Every people, nation, tongue, and tribe will find refuge and protection and deliverance in this kingdom. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, grows outward. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, how do we relate that for where we find ourselves today? Is that God is continuing to gradually grow his kingdom to be great and growing his kingdom outward now through the visible church, right? And as we are a faithful witness of God's good rule here and now in the everyday stuff of life, God continues to build his kingdom outward. He says, secondly, that the kingdom of God also grows inward. Verse 20, Jesus says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour into until all of it was leavened. Jesus is using a really big example of flour. 60 pounds? They say that could have fed like 150 people. Now, think about uh, when I've seen my wife make cinnamon rolls. I don't know that she's ever made enough for 150 people or enough bread for that. But when you think of leaven or what we would call yeast, All it takes is just a small little amount of that to build something great, right? And we've we've seen it before where we've uh, maybe she's put too much in and like expands significantly. It's crazy how awesome it can look with just a small amount of yeast growing that, making that bread, making those cinnamon rolls. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is like that. It's like leaven. It's hidden. It might not be visible to the public eye, but it's working and making something great. That little yeast that my wife 
uses, makes some really great cinnamon rolls. And if you had them, you know exactly how good they are. And Jesus is saying, what you don't see or what you may even think is insignificant, I'm using for something great. And remember, he's just healed a woman who had a disabling uh, spirit and she was uh, disabled, she was paralyzed perhaps, we don't know exactly. And what he is saying is like, even that what seems to be an insignificant miracle, because she was on the fringe of society, that insignificant miracle is doing great work. And through those miracles, Jesus is destroying Satan's dominion and implementing God's rule. And just because we don't see what God is doing doesn't mean that God isn't acting. The kingdom of God grows not only outward, it grows inward in the things that we don't see day to day. John just shared the story of going and seeing this student and thinking, you know what, I feel called that I need to go and support that kid. He may not have even seen John. So does it matter? I would say it does. To be a support, to be an example, who knows what that could do and in their relationship and the conversations that could come from that. I found so much encouragement in this this week. Because I often feel like I'm not doing enough for God. Do you ever feel that way? Depends a little bit how you're wired and how you're bent. But sometimes I get this temptation. I feel like my, my service to God needs to be something pretty explosive. Like everybody needs to see it, right? If, then, it, then it would really matter. But I think what we see in this is that Jesus is saying, you know what? Our smallest acts of faithfulness, of love, forgiveness, patience, displays God's kingdom here and now. Getting up every day and having to deal with the kids again it's faithfulness. No one understands what I do at home. You ever said that? You said that to your spouse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? No one understands the tension and the, and the stress that I have at work. The things that no one seems to see that just kind of real, either wreck me or cause some tension, and, and it doesn't matter if I live faithfully in those moments. Like, it seems insignificant, God. No one sees it. And I would say absolutely it matters. In fact, I'd be willing to say that more often than not, that's what life looks like. That's what faithfulness looks like. It's the everyday laborious day after day that no one sees faithful to God that's building his kingdom. God grows his kingdom inward in ways that people don't see, that makes such a huge difference. And you don't know how God's taken your work and what he's doing in and through you to build his kingdom. But rest assured, it's his work, not yours. His work in and through you. I hope that encourages you. 
as you sit this week and go, God, let me just be faithful in the smallest things you've given me for your glory and trusting you're going to build your kingdom in and through the work you're doing in me by the power of your spirit. God grows his kingdom outward and we get to join him in that as the church to declare in word and deed that God is king, but he's also growing his kingdom inward, even in our faithful day-to-day things that no one even sees. And most importantly, God is showing that his kingdom is to point us upward. As Jesus continues on the road to Jerusalem, because we know as he has been going on through uh, Luke that he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to die. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's been telling his disciples this all along. As they're going from village and town, someone comes up to Jesus, probably in the group. We don't know if it was a disciple, maybe just somebody following him. Uh, I think Luke is intentional by not giving us who that is because it involves all of us. But he says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And to give you a little bit of context of where probably this question was coming from, in the Jewish mindset, as long as you were a Jew, you were going to probably be saved. Your Jewishness, your ancestry, that alone as a child of Abraham was enough for you to be saved. Unless you were a really bad Jew, you were a heretic, you were just a really bad sinner. But even within that Jewish mindset, there were some, like the Pharisees, who said that you only were saved as a Jew if you obeyed all the rules. And Jesus doesn't speculate with this guy. He doesn't answer the question directly. It's almost like Jesus takes the question, how many are going to be saved, and flips it around and says, Maybe the question you should ask is, are you going to be saved? And Jesus continues and he says to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us and he will answer you. I don't know you or where you're from. This phrase has troubled a lot of people. Make every effort to enter in through the narrow door. The the ESV says strive to enter in the narrow door. And that phrase, that verb actually means, uh, it comes from uh, this this Greek idea that you were to compete in an athletic event. It's actually where we get the word agonize from, our agony. And the idea that Jesus is saying is not that you have to do something in order to have acceptance with Jesus or to be made right with Jesus. It's not a works-based righteousness, meaning I find salvation or I find favor with God because of my effort. But what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, then it's going to take a cost upon your life. 
And this shouldn't be something brand new to us or to the Jews who are hearing because Jesus has been saying this all throughout Luke. Like there's a cost to following Christ. It means that you take up your cross daily and follow after him. That's what he's told us already. That it means that we are constantly living a life of repentance and faith. That we turn from walking in our ways under our rule for our glory And we turn and we walk in God's ways, by God's rules, for his glory. That's continual. It means that we're learning to obey and trust. And family, that's hard work. You ever feel like you're in a race? You ever feel like Paul, when he says, I'm beating my body into submission to follow Christ? There are days you get up and go, I don't want to live like this. It's hard. How do I keep faithful, God, when I'm not seeing that prayer answered? I'm physically unwell. How do I keep trusting you in and through all of this? This relationship's broken. And Jesus is saying, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Keep following me. Keep your eyes on me. Because there's going to become a day that if you don't and you reject me, the door is going to shut. And you're going to want to get in and you're not going to be able to. That's a scary thought. So we live in a culture today that says there's a lot of doors are a lot of ways to get to God, right? We've heard that. Maybe we've even wrestled with that in our own thinking. But Jesus is very clear and he says, no, there's not. There's one way into the kingdom. Enter through the narrow door. Because there will be a day where it'll be too late. That door will shut. And for the individual, that time comes upon death where the door could be shut if you've rejected Jesus, possibly even earlier than that if your heart is hardened. I gotta be honest. This past week has been hard for a lot of, a lot of ways. But one thing that I've been really convicted of is the fact that I know people in my life who don't know Christ. And they're not entering into that narrow door. And Jesus is urgent here. This is something that's like, make every effort to enter in because soon I'm going to shut the door. Your opportunity to follow me is going to be over. And I'm sitting and I'm thinking through family and friends who haven't accepted Christ. And what if the door shuts now? It's a call for us who know Christ, an urgent call. That not only do we continue to make every effort, but we hold out the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom to those who don't. Who those who want to reject it and walk into a different door, 
a different way, a different pattern of living. And the only option that Jesus gives us is to enter in the narrow door, which is Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door, and whoever enters in me will be saved. There's only one way into the kingdom of God, and it's through Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that you can know God is through me. This is what the kingdom's like. And for those who reject Jesus now, the end result is that there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. And the idea is that there is going to be anguish and there's going to be anger because they miss the opportunity. Oh, sure, some are going to say, well, wait a minute, didn't our Jewishness Make us acceptable in your sight, Jesus? Like we were Jews by birth, shouldn't we automatically be saved? What will some of them say? Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we ate with you. We drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Isn't that good enough? How many people will say someday when the time comes and they meet Jesus face to face, because all of us will, and people look to Jesus and go, well, wait a minute, didn't I go to church? I was a CEO Christian, Christmas, Easter only. Wasn't that good enough? I was born into Christian family. I was born into a Christian nation. I heard preaching. I had friends who were Christians. Isn't that enough, Jesus? Let me in. And Jesus' words are harsh and they're urgent. There's no sugarcoating in this family. There's no trying to make it nice and smooth. He's saying, no, I never knew you. I don't even know where you're from. Depart from me, evil doers. You rejected me and now it's too late. The gospel of the kingdom of God points us upward to see that Jesus is the only way for eternal life. And the only way that we will be able to partake of the banquet in the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about here, this is at the very end, Jesus has come back, he's restored all things. Those who will dine and fellowship with believers are those who in faith alone, in Christ alone, have believed that Jesus is the only door. And Jesus says there's gonna be people from east and west and north and south from all over the world dining who've accepted me. And don't be surprised, don't be surprised if you see that some of the, the least, the lost, the left out, the marginalized, the poor, those who don't seem to have power, those who seemed to be on the fringes, they're the first ones to eat at the table. The last 
will be first. First will be last. Those who think they're in might be out. And those who think they deserve to be out, they'll be in. What about us? What's our response? Jesus still holds open the door now. He is the door. He says, enter in through me. Believe in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. My death and resurrection has enabled it to be possible for you to enter into the kingdom of God. And once you do that, keep striving, keep obeying, keep your eyes on me, keep following me. Partake in my kingdom outwardly as you go and share the good news with people. Keep seeing the goodness of the kingdom growing inwardly as you are faithful in the everyday stuff of life. And keep your eyes on me. Family, what's your response? If you have trusted and believed in Jesus, I want to encourage you, keep doing it. Eyes on Christ. Make every effort, every single day, trusting in Jesus. And by the power of the Spirit, he will keep you there. That's good news. And if you don't know Christ, then I urge you, I plead with you, enter in through the door, who is Jesus himself. The time is short. And I want to live the rest of my life with an urgency to tell the people that the time is short. But the good news is that Jesus is alive. And he holds open the door of life to you now. We as the church are called to share that news. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus opens now the door wide and he says, in me, you can flourish. In me, you have eternal life. In me, you can have hope and joy and peace. It's the only way to live. Family, take this good news and hold on to it. And take that good news and share it with the world so that God's kingdom grows into greatness. And he will do it. We have such a good, good God. Let's pray. Father, we know that by grace and grace alone we can stand here and enter into your kingdom not because of anything that we've done no effort of ours will stand but that we can enter by grace and grace alone because of what Christ has done in his life, death and resurrection Father would you take the smallest bit of faith in our hearts and explode it into something great. Trusting you day in and day out and the everyday stuff of life, making every effort to enter in through the door, being faithful. God, empower us by your spirit to be a faithful people 
God's Sundays remind us of how faithless we've been, but it reminds us again of how faithful you are and that for those who are in Christ, you will see us to the end. Oh, such good news. And Father, we pray that we would not just keep that good news to ourselves, but that we would share this good news with the world. For all those who don't know you, the Kyles of our life, our colleagues, our family members, whomever, God, I'm sure we could think of tons of people that we know, that we rub shoulders with, who need to hear, Jesus, that you are the narrow door, the way, the truth, and the life. The time is now, right here, right now, to respond to you, God. Would you empower us, energize us, and protect us in this work? And God, as we now turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord's table, we're reminded again that you nourish our faith to do this work. And that we are reminded that Jesus perfected it. And in him, we truly can live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.